Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company official podcast of the Library of the Damned. Find a library online at librarythedamned.com. You can stream the Great Lakes Horror Podcast directly from the Library of the Damned website or over on iTunes. Today we've got a special treat for you in honor of Women in Horror Month. Five diabolical writers of horror, all of whom are women, discussing Women in Horror Month and writing horror. So let's take a moment and get acquainted. So with me today, uh, I have Nancy Kilpatrick, I have Suzanne Church, Crystal Bork, Sephra Geron, and myself, I'm Julianne Stowe. So why don't you take a second, Nancy, and introduce yourself for us. Uh, hi, Nancy Kilpatrick here. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I write horror. I'm a woman. Um, I'm not really sure what the criteria is here, but how's that? You know what? That's exactly the criteria. So you've met everything. We're good. Okay. So, <laughs> I guess I fit. Yep. Suzanne? Hi, I'm Suzanne Church. I write science fiction, fantasy, and best of all, horror. And I'm so happy to be part of this podcast to uh, give women in horror the attention that they so rightly deserve. Thank you, Suzanne. Crystal? Hi, I am Crystal Bork. I am also a uh, horror writer. I write more urban, dark fantasy, um, so I kind of slide into that genre, but it's still horror, so it's all good. Um, and I, too, am a woman in horror, and I am an author, so I fit the criteria as well. Excellent. Sephra. Hi, <clears throat> I'm Sephra Jerome, and I'm a horror writer. I have over 20 books published. Uh, they're either horror, erotic horror, or erotic, and I have some science fiction stuff coming out, too. Excellent. So those of you that don't know me, um, I'm Julianne. I'm a writer of uh, speculative fiction uh, with my roots to go deep into horror. Um, I'm also a woman, so I believe that uh, that pretty much sums up the reason why we're all here. <laughs> so let's start off with an easy question. As a female horror writer, what does Women in Horror Month mean to you? Nancy, do you want to kick this one off for us? Uh, I guess I could. Please don't always start with me, though. <laughs> I won't. Uh, okay. Well, women in horror, I mean, it's an interesting idea because I think women in horror, this is a funny field. It's always been guys doing horror over the years. Not that there haven't been women, but there's just been a few. Uh, yeah, you can go back to Mary Shelley and you can go to uh, all kinds of other, you know, isolated women who wrote horror. But now there's a whole lot of women that write horror. But I think we've been kind of ghettoized in a certain way because a lot of male writers in the horror field anyway, not necessarily fans, but male writers, they seem to feel that women can't write anything that's really horrific, that we do the kind of soft, mushy kind of horror stuff. And uh, so I think that the, the Women in Horror Month is good. It's been going for a few years, and it always kind of accentuates the idea that women have a big scope as well in terms of writing horror, and they can write visceral horror, they can write uh, psychological, they can do all kinds of horror, just like male writers do. Uh, perhaps we're not quite as fixated as male writers on uh, the gore end of things. Not to say we can't do it. I've done it. I think every woman here has done it. But um, we maybe have more of a, a big scope. So I think that needs to be expressed, that women can do anything. Thank you, Nancy. Crystal, what do you think? What is, uh, or what does women in horror mean to you? Well, I've I'm finding the perspective interesting just because I feel like I'm sort of new to the realm of writing. I haven't been doing it uh, for as long as some of the other 
fantastic women in this uh, in this group chat right now. Um, so, you know, to me, I'm kind of excited that we have our own women in horror month um, to kind of celebrate sort of the strides that have been made over time from, you know, exactly what Nancy has been talking about. Um, you know, I still think there's um, some things that, that could be changed, but I think um, I'm feeling pretty positive that uh, focusing on women writers, especially in horror, uh, is not a bad thing at all. Okay, thank you. Suzanne, anything to add? Uh, I think more than anything, during the current political climate that we're experiencing here in February of 2017, it's nice to just touch the stone that says, let's focus on women who write horror or participate in horror for a little while, just to make sure that we're getting the same kind of attention that uh, male writers in the industry are getting. Uh, I think that it's important for people to know that uh, just because the topic is scary doesn't mean that women are somehow so afraid that they wouldn't participate, so to speak. Okay, thank you. Uh, Sephra? Um, I guess you're asking about the Women in Horror Month concept. Um, yeah, like what does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, back when it first started, I believe, what, about eight years ago or so, um, I, I was a little taken aback. I, I didn't feel like we needed a Women in Horror Month because I felt the field was quite flush with women and male writers and and readers and publishers and editors, and I didn't really feel the need for women to be singled out as it were. However, as time has gone backwards in our <laughs> and now in 2017, it's like 1954 or something, um, uh, much like Suzanne said, uh, with the current political climate, it seems like women have to fight all over again to be um, thought of as equal or something. Something's going on. So it's nice to have this month where uh, women are pointed at and uh, singled out for being women in horror writers. Um, I, I think uh, it's a good idea now, and I'm glad we do have it. So even though, you know, at first I wasn't too on board with it, now I'm totally on board with it. And I, I just want to say, and we'll probably talk about this a bit later too, that I don't find it so much the people actually working in the field that have difficulty with women horror writers. It's trying to get the readers to pick up the books by the women horror writers, um, which is also why I think it's nice to have this month because especially now that we have social media and Facebook, um, we certainly, you know, more names are getting out that readers may not have been familiar with because as we all know, we all get addicted to the same thing. So Women in Horror Month allows people to expand their reading lists. And it's not just writers. It's This is Women in Horror for everybody, uh, filmmakers, uh, artists, um, musicians, everybody in the horror field. And that's what okay. I say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sephra. I agree with everything you guys have said. Um, I do believe that something that we need because we need to ensure that even though we may not need the spotlight, it's always good to just kind of highlight ourselves once in a while because it's like Sephra said, it's not so much for the writers in the field because we all know we exist it's for the readers who may not be familiar with our names and who may need to just say okay like let's pick up a book by somebody new and see if we can discover someone that could be our next new favorite so now to our next question um and we're going to start with suzanne this time so suzanne tell me what challenges uh do you face as a woman writing in the horror genre if any 
challenges I face. Uh, I think first and foremost, the challenge that I face is when I'm meeting people for the first time and they ask me, well, what sort of fiction are you, you know, do you write? I will often say horror and, and then wait, wait for the awkward silence that often follows. And often you get these answers such as, oh, well, you don't seem like the kind of person who would write horror. And you're never really quite sure what they mean by that. Uh, you know, what exactly is a person who would write horror? You ask yourself that question. You know, do we, ha do we have to look like a zombie or like we've somehow been through a, you know, a, a, a chipper, a wood chipper or something? I'm not really sure. But uh, I find more than anything, it's that constant drive to convince people that what we're doing is not only legitimate and interesting and worth the read, but that not only should people not fear horror, but they shouldn't fear the notion that I write horror and that it's all, it's all well and good to kind of give them that happy, warm feeling. I think that's the challenge I face. Okay. Um, so what about you? What challenges do you face as a woman writing in the horror genre? Um, again, it's, it's a little bit like I, I said earlier, it's getting readers to, uh, pick up women horror writing. Um, you know, I used to write for leisure books way back and I guess nowadays people don't even know what a glorious thing leisure books was for, especially for people who like to read horror. Um, this was like a mass market paperback, you know, and I, wanted to be a paperback writer. So when uh, I got my books out through leisure, I'd have signings at real live bookstores. And uh, it, so many people would come by the table and, and they'd look at, you know, I had quite a body of work when I was doing this because I was publishing other books with other publishers too. So I'd have a bunch of crap on my table and uh, people, oh, it can't be scary, you know, to pick it up and slam it down and oh, and I'm like, you know, like I shrink some heads and stuff in this book, but you know, no one cares. But yeah, they think women can't possibly be scary. Although I don't know why people think that when, you know, if they've ever met, you know, a mom who's protecting her child or whatever, um, we can be pretty scary. But yeah, to me, the biggest challenge is not getting published, is not writing, um, is not thinking up ideas. It's getting readers to take uh, a woman horror writer seriously. Because it's like Suzanne said, um, I guess cause Suzanne, you know, like me, we're both really kind of happy, you know, cheerful people and we laugh a lot and we're friendly. And so I guess that's what they mean when they say, oh, you don't look like a horror writer. Because they're like, well, what am I supposed to look like? You know, you look like exactly. you romance. Yeah. You know, it's like, why should I write romance? You know, just because I'm a girl, you know? Yeah. So though these are the, you know, and even though I myself have been publishing since 1999, I think my first horror novel was published then, and I was published long before that in short stories. Um, it's still amazing how, uh, you know, we're still fighting this particular battle that for some reason women can't be scary um, or it wouldn't be as scary as a guy or I don't even know. I, 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 you know, I'd have to wear someone else's brain for a while and try and figure out where they go with those thoughts because I don't understand how people can't think women can't be scary because just look at history. We're pretty scary. Ever seen Lizzie Borden or anyways, that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I agree. Actually, I think that the more normal and happy go lucky and, and, just happy that we are, the better it disarms people and makes them want to pick up what we have to read uh, more so than anything else. Because if we were to epitomize being horror writers, 
then sometimes that could actually work against us. So, Nancy, what challenges do you face as a woman writing in the horror genre? Well, in the past, um, and I've been writing a long time since the 80s, so um, I had at the beginning of my career that reaction that people have talked about. Oh, my God, you write horror? You really do? But I haven't had that in a long time, and I think that the whole society has become more, um, I guess, other than certain presidents of the United States, hesitant to voice their opinions like that. And what I feel now is that it's almost like a psychological problem that that people, and especially people that work in the horror field, the industry have almost an unconscious bias that they're not even aware of. Uh, so you end up having people reacting to you without knowing that they're reacting to you or, and, and if you called them on it, they wouldn't even, you know, they wouldn't hesitate to say, no, no, of course women can write horror. But I think it plays out in how the world works. This is the way I'm feeling about it in my dotage here, <laughs> that it's a, basically it's something that is not so obvious or evident, but it's there. And uh, I see that with, you know, there are of course, you know, lots of horror writers who, who have said there are male horror writers <laughs> who have said this, that women don't write as, um, you know, as extreme horror as men, or they write kind of the romantic stuff or uh, supernatural horror kind of thing. But um, that's just very few men that would say that. And there's an awful lot of men that are supportive now of women that write in the horror field, but it's always been a guy's thing to write horror. And I think that there's a, a sort of an un, unspoken thing that if you really want a good horror story, you look to a male to, you know, male writer to get that. I don't think that's the case at all. I think every woman here would agree with me and probably every woman who writes horror would agree with me that women can write really dynamic horror, really this girl, really emotional, uh, psychological, um, in your face horror. So, I mean, I've even had an editor said to me, I guess about two or three years ago, when I sent in a piece to a magazine that was published, um, he was astounded that, uh, he, and he actually, you know, blurted out that, that I didn't know a woman could write like this. <laughs> I felt like saying, well, lots of women can write like this. So, and it turned out that that story ended up in an all women issue of the magazine. So, you know, I think it's not so much that people walk around thinking that anymore, I, at least with me. I think it's more that it's there and it's embedded in the culture or the world psyche that that women have to be, it, it's going to take generations, I, I'm afraid to say it, but I think we just we all have to do our best and put out what we put out and come on with some confidence about what we do. And it's the confidence that will convince people that there's something here. Okay, that's very, very fair. Thank you, Nancy. Okay, so uh, then we'll go to Crystal. Crystal, what challenges do you face as a woman writing in the horror genre? Um, I would really agree with um, Seth and, uh, and Suzanne. I think sometimes the, you know, what do you write question is followed up by, oh, horror. And uh, uh, there tends to be a bit of surprise sometimes. And again, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty bubbly person, so it can... Um, you know, it can be a little bit frustrating when you kind of get a look of, oh, really? I thought you write, you know, you would write romance or something like that. Um, I think, too, and this might be more of an answer, you know, challenges as, as an author, but I'm also an indie author. So I find that uh, in combination with I'm a horror writer and I'm an indie author, I get a lot of 
um, kind of just, uh, I guess, being brushed off as, as not being an authentic, real uh, writer or author. So um, I would say that the combination of those two things can be quite, uh, quite challenging, but uh, I do love a challenge, so it's all good. Okay, thank you, Crystal. Let's move on to our next question, and I'm going to ask Sefer this question first. So, Sefer, be prepared. Um, have you ever considered masculinizing your name? Absolutely. Um, when I was with Leisure, I asked Don Doria if I should be a man instead of a woman, or even just have a, you know, maybe be Sarah or Jean or something instead of Sephra, because my name looks so strange. And I've often wondered over the years if, you know, sales would have been different for me if I had a, a man name. And, you know, that kind of leads me a little bit to a project I'm working on now. I'm working on a science fiction space opera thing. Um, to get my Star Wars crap out of me. And uh, I'm uh, seriously doing it under a man's name. My, na my name will be Tommy Walker. And I don't mind all my horror friends knowing. I don't mind. And, you know, I'll tell people it's me. But I think for people who don't know me, um, it'll be better that I'm just plain old Tommy Walker, just a, you know, normal dude with a normal name writing some space stuff, <laughs> you know, whereas, oh, no, there's that woman with the weird name. And she writes like that crazy horror shit. And, you know, so uh, it's something I'm going to try. But, yes, I think absolutely it makes a difference. Um, you know, look at J.K. Rowling. Would, would she have had as much success if people knew? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but I think there's something about this is still a very male field, even though we don't want it to be. I think that um, the recognition of a man's name is definitely uh, something to consider, especially if you look at our peers and who's used men names and who haven't and how far up the ladder they've gotten. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, Crystal, as the indie in the group, then, um, yes. have you ever considered masculinizing your name? To be honest, I have not at all uh, considered it. Um, and so I find this a very interesting question to think about just because um, I guess starting out, I, as an indie author, I feel like even more than ever as being an author, you really have to be your own marketing and your own brand. And my most authentic self is this Crystal Bork. So um, that is sort of, the reason why I used my name. Um, but that being said, uh, now that I'm thinking about it in, in the horror genre, I do know some women who have, um, you know, changed their, or changed their name or used, uh, you know, initials to kind of masculinize their name. But I don't, I don't think that I would do it. Um, just because again, I feel like I am my most authentic self as a writer um, just under my own name. Okay, that's fair. Nancy, what about you? Uh, I've never considered having a male name or even using my initials. Um, I have two pen names because in the past I wrote some very extreme erotic horror. Uh, so I had the uh, the option, well, I didn't have the option because I was working for pocketbooks and one of the conditions of my contract with them for a book called Near Death was that if I, I couldn't write for anyone else using my name, that was they used to put all these conditions in contracts. So I had another publisher that wanted to do a series, uh, and so I wrote this erotic horror series, very extreme, but it was based on all the horror classics. 
Um, so the series is called The Darker Passions, but I had to change my name, and I thought, well, maybe I could use Nancy this, or I could use Kilpatrick that, and I, you know, did that sort of dance of what to do, what to do, and then I thought, well, this series is kind of fun and it's extreme and it's a, it's tongue-in-cheek humor and it's really hot and sexy uh, maybe I should have a name that goes with that so I, I came up with a name and I won't go into how I found this name but I did uh, I came up with this name Amarantha Knight and uh, then uh, many years later I was writing uh, two book, two different books uh, that were softer erotic horror. They weren't as extreme, but they were still pretty erotic for the average person. And uh, so I decided to have the name Desiree Knight, who was the younger sister of Amaranta. <laughs> but uh, those are the only pen names I've had, and I haven't written them under a male name. I don't think I would because... Um, I, I just, there's something about me, I don't know if I can say this on the radio, but there's something about me, I have this fuck you attitude in a lot of ways, and one of the things I wouldn't do is I wouldn't go against something that I really don't want to do, and it's not something I want to do, so I'm not going to do it just because I think, it, it, you know, I don't delude myself that I'm going to end up at some, you know, New York Times best-selling author, it's not going to happen, horror is a very tiny part of the whole writing industry, it's used to be 8%, it's probably even less now, but it's a very small, you know, dot in the ocean here. And uh, I don't see myself rising to that level, certainly at this point in my career. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at. I'm a midlist writer. I have a good following. You know, I can sell books. And, um, and hopefully there's a chance at the end of this to plug my new one. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's sort of the way I see it. It doesn't mean I think anybody's wrong to do it differently. It's just the way I go. That's fair. I, th I think, you know what, having that fuck you attitude is, is a great thing to have. So, <laughs> Suzanne, what do you think? You ever considered masculinizing your name? I have many times, actually. Uh, when I started this business quite a while ago, I had only been away from teaching for a little while. And I, st I was just on a leave from teaching. And as a high school teacher, you have to really watch what you do in the public sector that can come back and kind of bite you uh, if, if say, parents didn't like the notion that this, this teacher was, you know, writing these horrible, terrible books and yet teaching their innocent children, so to speak, even though high school, they're not very innocent anymore. And quite frankly, with the last name of Church, it, people think things about you because you have this kind of Christian white bread last name and yet it doesn't really apply to me so I've often thought that maybe rather than just changing my first name to masculinize it I would just change the whole thing and go with a masculine name that didn't have the you know the Christian white bread feel to it as well as the fact that you know I could pretend to be a guy um, because I do think that men in general get more you know, I don't want to say credibility, but it's almost that uh, in anything that they do. I don't think it's just about writing. I think it's about the business world in general um, and how men are treated as employees or as workers or as the faces of brands compared to women in the same uh, vein. I mean, I was watching the Grammy Awards recently and you look at the way that female singers dress for a performance like that versus the way that male performers dress. I mean, Ed Sheeran came out and he was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and doing his thing. And then you look at um, acts like Beyonce and what she's wearing and you say to yourself, um, 
you know, why is it that, that Beyonce wouldn't feel comfortable coming out in jeans and a t-shirt? And that just sort of opens up this whole notion of men being treated differently from women in any industry. So yeah, I've, I've thought about it many times. The initial thing, you know, just S church or S and some other last name. Yeah. I've thought about it many times. Okay. So now we're just going to go on to another question and it sort of brings us back to, um, something that we talked about a little bit earlier, but sort of skated over it. So um, I'm going to ask this of Crystal first. So Crystal, yes. are there any topics you feel are taboo to you as a woman? Are there any lines you won't cross when you're writing? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I mean... I guess the way I've always viewed life and I've always viewed writing is that if I want to write about something that I'm going to do it, um, if it suits sort of the the story and what I'm writing about. Um, I mean, I think there's the standard taboo kind of uh, subjects that, you know, when you submit to a magazine, they're just not going to accept that type of thing. Um, but, you know, I... I'm even playing with the idea of writing outside of horror and writing other things, um, you know, uh, even romance, erotica, perhaps, um, and still using my own name, uh, that kind of thing, just because if it's, I sort of, I really like Nancy's response with, you know, I, I like, why put so much um, pressure or, um, you know, I just kind of don't give a fuck. If that's what I want to write about, then that's what I'm going to write about. Okay. Okay. So that's a fair answer. Now, Nancy, what about you? Do you think there's any topics that you feel are taboo? Well, so far there haven't been. I've written some very extreme stuff. So, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I write what I'm interested in and I have to be true to that. Definitely always. I have to be true. If I'm not interested in it, I can't even write it. I, because writing takes a lot. It takes a lot for me. I'm speak for myself. It takes a lot out of my soul. And I, mm-hmm. I have to come from there to get it onto the page. And it's a lot of, it's not work in the way people talk about writing is work. It's not that work kind of work. It's work in terms of like a digging into yourself work, you know, and getting it out and putting it there and then having to do all of the actual work that involves rewriting and getting things, you know, organized enough that it can be actually published. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't do all that if it wasn't something that I felt compelled to do on a, it's really hard to describe creativity in a way because, you know, it's a compulsion to get this thing that is in you out. And when it's out there, it's what it is. And, and to try to censor it in any way, it's just not in me to do that because I, I feel like it's a, a disrespect to myself. It's a disrespect to life in general that doesn't mean everybody's going to love what I do or approve of what I do, but I can't help that. You can't please all the people. You just do what you have to do yourself. And I want to be able to live with myself. I want to be able to face myself in the mirror. Well, maybe after I've had a facial or something, but you know, I want to be able to really look at myself. I'm just being silly here to really look at myself and say, okay, at the end of this day, you have done what you needed to do in terms of the work that you, you feel 
it comes from so deep within you, it might even come from um, almost like a universal uh, unconscious source. It's just something, that's a creativity, it's such a deep work. So yeah, um, I would not censor anything, I would not go anywhere, I, I would go anywhere that I felt compelled to go, which is not the same as saying that everything that you do will see the light of publication at all, but it's getting it out of me, and people may not like it, but I just do what I do, and anybody, it's, you know, it's like a show on TV, if you don't like it, turn it off. Okay. Uh, Safra, what about you? Um, well, uh, much like Nancy, um, I, it's the whole writing what you're interested in part coupled with the digging it out of your soul part. And once you go that far, it's like, I've gone down this road and I'm going down this road and I'm not censoring what's on this road. And if anyone's ever read any of my stuff, they know there is no too far for me. Um, I will say as I get older though, um, uh, I haven't read, written a full horror novel in a, in a few years. I've written a lot of novellas, and they're all pretty crazy. Uh, so you know I have no taboos. <laughs> um, but I, I have a feeling I probably won't write much about, um, like, killing babies and stuff anymore. I, I'm getting, in my old age, I, I find, I'm finding... Uh, you know, doing bad things to children might not be in my work in the future. I'm not positive, though. I still might be there. Um, and, and and then just to uh, dance around the taboo subject thing for a minute, because this is something that I bring up a lot in interviews, and I, I'd still try to reconcile it in my head. But on the, I think it's actually on Amazon, but I know I got a letter about it. I've had many letters about it. Um, in one of my books, I think it was Borrowed Flesh, um, uh, the witch accidentally kills her cat and uh and then there's another part where they use a squirrel in a spell or so i don't know there's some stuff going down with animals and spells and stuff and i love animals everyone knows that if you know me you know i'm a big suck for animals but yeah i got so many so much hate oh you killed the animal and it's like oh what about all the people i beheaded and killed and sliced up and hung on hooks and whatever but no no one cares about that but you know you you, you put you throw a squirrel in the friggin cauldron and everybody freaks out <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah so there's no uh taboos for me i don't think it's just again it's like what nancy said it's what i want to things I'm interested in, I'm going to write about. And just cause there's a little voice going, Ooh, you really shouldn't write about that dead person, you know, what running around the block or what? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I have no taboos, but then again, you know, I'm grew up through that time of splatter punk and all that stuff. And, you know, people went really far in those days. Um, I'm not up on the bizarro movement. So I think things are even weirder over there. Um, but yeah, I have no taboos. I don't hmm. believe in censorship. Right. <laughs> It's actually interesting that you brought that uh, just a point up there a second ago, Sephra, because you said that, you know, you had done some things to animals in a book and then people had come back and, and said that to you. So I wonder if sometimes the taboos that we think about are not necessarily what's inside our own souls, but it's what we know that uh, readers are going to react badly to. Yeah. I'm at a so, point now where I want to 
write stuff that people want to read um, mm -hmm. as opposed to my younger self. And I think this happens to almost every writer as you mature. You got to write your vampire story. You got to write your mummy story. You know, you go, there's all these little steps. And as an editor, I see people taking these steps. It's hilarious. But yeah, now I'm just at a point where I'm not going to write to gross out for gross out sake. But I also want to engage and keep my audience. Uh, what what little audience I have, I want them to come back. So I'm not going to go out of my way to do uh, things that really are upsetting to them. But, you know, when you read horror, you know, you're going to get upset anyways. And if you don't get upset, then why, you know, it, the book wasn't good or whatever, but mm -hmm. it's, I'm rambling. <laughs> okay. Suzanne, what about you? Think there are any taboos for you? Uh, part of me wants to say yes. Uh, I, I haven't really come across something that I've wanted to write that while writing it, I thought, yeah, well, I can't really do that. Um, but I think that basically, as an author, most of the time when you write something, it has to resonate with you. And I would like to think that there's a part of me that, you know, stays away from things that don't resonate with me that would be considered taboo. So maybe, I don't know, I'm just a little too middle of the road. I don't know how else to describe it, but I've, I've never had a problem with... Uh, horrible things happening so maybe there aren't any taboo topics i don't know for me interesting okay so we're coming to our last question and this one i think is is a fairly important one so we are going to start with um miss sephra for this one so seph what advice would you give to other women considering a career in horror fiction <clears throat> i would say Read a lot, write a lot, uh, send your stuff out. Don't be afraid to send it out. Um, if you're self-publishing, hire an editor and a cover artist. And uh, don't, don't let people pat you on the head and tell you you should be writing romance. If you want to write horror, you just write horror. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, you'll never get published if it's just sitting in a drawer somewhere. So write that stuff down and send it out. And don't be afraid and go to conventions. It's very important. I can't, I stress it to my chapter all the time. Um, Nancy knows, um, and Suzanne, I see at conventions a lot too. Like, it's so important to meet these editors and publishers. It's important to get out there and uh, socialize and network. And especially as women, I think it's even more important for women. Um, <clears throat> so they can see, you know, because I, I find a lot of, and maybe I'll get a lot of hate about this, but I find women who write horror tend to be rather masculine type people. Like we're all pretty strong. And I think it's because our head is full of all this darkness. And so, you know, it's good to get out there and show we're not like little fainting flowers or whatever. And and people put your face to your work. And that to me, that's, that's how, you know, I, I found it really important I, I just want to tell a quick story about the importance of conventions. Um, I spent years trying to get into leisure books. I was always uh, sending, you know, I, I read and read and read leisure books. And, you know, it's like, I want to write for leisure books when I grow up kind of thing. And it was my one of my goals, my bucket list goals. And so I sent, you know, I think four or five books over the years, like complete 
finished manuscripts to Don Doria, who was the new editor at Leisure way back then. And uh, then I did, and he always said, "Oh, I like your writing, but this doesn't quite make it." And you know, and it'd take a year for him to get back to you because Leisure was leisurely. And um, so you know, I've spent like six years or more trying to break in. And then I went to World Horror. I'd been to many World Horrors, but this one I actually got to do a reading at. And so I read my little smutty story to my audience of three. Um, and then after, and this was before internet days, and uh, when when I finished reading, you know, and of course I was disappointed there were only three people there, but I was like, fuck it, I'm reading anyways. And then at the end, one of the people came over to me, shook my hand, and introduced himself as Don Doria, and I nearly had a fucking heart attack. So... I always tell people, don't be sad if there's only two or three people in the audience, you know, because you never know. It might be that one person you wanted. Anyway, so he came over to me, said, you haven't sent me anything in a while. I said, well, I've kind of given up because I don't think I'm ever going to be able to write what you want me to write. And uh, he said, no, no, no. He said, I love your writing. It's just you don't you're sending me all this fantasy stuff and it needs to be more focused on horror. Just get it more focused towards horror. And so. I did. I sent him House of Pain, um, a synopsis for that, because it actually had been a screenplay for a movie, but that's a whole other thing. Um, and yeah, and so that's how I got my deal, was because I went to a convention and I, you know, read to a crowd of two or three, and that, and I got my kick at the can. So, you know, I'd say it's so important to go out and meet people. Otherwise, I never would have known Don actually liked my work. And I never would have thought to send him anything else. And I never would have had a leisure career and then went on to publish with him at Sam Hain as well. Oh, also, for to the other question, when I was at Sam Hain, I said to him again, hey, I want to write under a man's name. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I want to write under a man's name. My name's too weird. I think people don't want to buy my books because the name's so weird because it's not like I'm getting shitty reviews. They're just not even being sold. But he, he again, he said, no, no, Sephra, you have a beautiful name. You keep your name. You're not doing any other name. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's my biggest advice is go to conventions. Go to the horror. Like, I don't know if world horror is happening this year or ever again, but now we have StokerCon, which is done by the Horror Writers Association. This year it'll be on the, this year being 2017. Um, uh, it'll be on the Queen Mary this year in California. And so you're all trapped on a boat with the likes of George R.R. R. Martin and Chuck Wendig and Nancy Kilpatrick and Nancy Holder and a whole pile of people. And, and you really get to know people and you go to panels, you learn things. But the key thing is go to those parties because you meet the publishers and editors and they get to know you. And of course, it's a networking game like anything else. People are going to, you know, fill the slots with people they know are familiar with uh, before they will with total strangers. And that's just a fact of life. And that's just how it goes. Um, so to get to the top of that slush pile, you got to get your face known. That's my advice. Okay. Thank you, Sephra. So Suzanne, what about you? What advice do you have? I think my biggest piece of advice would be to be brave. Uh, don't be afraid to put yourself out there, however that happens to be, be it on social media like Twitter or Facebook, be it on uh, just submitting things, getting stuff out in front of publishers, be it going to conventions as Safira suggested. Just be brave and uh, just don't be afraid to to write those words and don't second-guess yourself and say, oh, you know, I'm not sure – if this is too dark or too this or too that, like just be brave and put yourself out there. The more honest and true and heartfelt you are in your writing, the better chance you're going to have of success. 
Okay, thank you, Suzanne. Uh, Crystal, what advice do you have? Um, I think, I mean, the advice that had, has been given so far is really um, pretty awesome. I know for myself, um, again, as a as an indie author, as that is my experience, um, you know, I personally was looking for a space where I could uh, learn from other uh, authors. And so I, I joined the HWA. And I mean, so far, it's opened up uh, incredible opportunities, including, you know, I'm sitting on a panel again with uh, some pretty amazing women. And, um, you know, part of attending different conferences and uh, being brave, I think, is also just listening and listening to the advice that, um, you know, the woman in a group like the HWA can provide to you as an author who's really trying to kind of break into um, writing because ultimately you're kind of all going through the same thing, um, you know, just kind of at, at different times. So that would definitely be my advice. Okay, thank you. And we'll leave off with Nancy. Nancy, what advice do you have for all of the women that are out there that want to start writing in horror and having a career in it? Uh, I think all the advice that's been given so far is terrific. So everything everyone said, and the only thing I would add to that is that I have read um, on social media quite a bit about women feeling like they don't have the courage to submit stories, that, that they've been rejected or whatever. And I just want to say to anyone who is a female who wants to write horror or anything else, You've got to develop a rhino skin. You really have to get over this whole shrinking violet thing because this is not how the world works. You have to be able to feel confidence within yourself and whatever it takes to get that confidence. Just to, even the, if you have to every single day of your life, go and stand in front of a mirror and say, you have value, you have a right to do things. Whatever it's going to take for you to feel like you are a solid person inside. You have a right to talk to people about your writing. You have a right to go to editors and see if they want to buy your stuff. You have a right to submit material. Um, just You've got to get over that kind of fear or that, uh, I don't know, diminishment, whatever it is, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's just going to make you bitter and angry and resentful. So, you, you know, get out there and do your stuff and feel like you have every right in the world, just like everyone else to do your stuff. Okay. Thank you, Nancy. So this pretty much concludes everything. Um, our little women in horror panel today. Um, so I want to thank, uh, Nancy Kilpatrick, Suzanne Church, Crystal Bork, and Sefra Giron for joining me today. And I'd like to give each of you just a second or two, or a moment, however long you want to take, um, just to sort of add anything um, that you want to add, whether it's telling us about a new book or, or prompting us to go somewhere and read something from you. So let's start with uh, Nancy. All right. <laughs> right. We get to the other side again. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would like to just promote uh, to some extent my new novel, which is the first in a series of six, possibly seven books. And it is called Revenge of the Vampire King. You can buy it right now on um, Internet. You can buy it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble if you're in the U.S. and so on. And um, it's in ebook format now. It will be in print in April. And yes, it's a vampire story, but hey, it's not like any that you've read before. I like to think of it as a vampire book for adults. Hmm. Sounds very interesting. Suzanne, what have you got for us? Uh, currently, I have a novel 
out in the uh, Hellmaw universe, which is a new shared world put out by the Ed Greenwood Group. And my novel is called Soul Larcenist. And it's available at the usual places, Amazon, Kobo, that sort of thing. And you can also get it through the uh, the Ed Greenwood's website, which is onder, O-N-D-E-R, Librum, L-I-B-R-U-M, dot com. Thank you, Suzanne. Crystal. Yes, um, I'm actually promoting my second novel in the Book of Eve series. It's called No Escape. I'm very excited about it. Um, as it uh, it was much more fun to write than the first one, let's just say. Um, so there's going to be four books in that series. And if you go to my website, www.everythingstemporary.com, I am doing a sort of promotion right now where if you sign up to my newsletter, you actually get the first book in that series for free. So it's it's just an ebook version. It's not a fancy paperback, but... Uh, for those of you who are interested, that is available for you. Thank you, Crystal. Sephra. Hi. Um, I guess I'll mention uh, the fact I think all of us are in uh, an anthology called Group Hex. Uh, aren't we? Are we all in that? I think so. Um, we are. Yeah, and so that was put out by the Great Lakes Horror Company and um, with Horror Writers Association writers in it. It's a, a huge book of many stories, horror stories, group hacks edited by Andrew Robertson. And then for my own uh, schmoozy thing, um, I'm in a, a anthology called Intersections, Six Books of Ouija Horror. Um, and it's uh, stories about Ouija boards. And mine's a novella. They're all novellas. All six stories are novellas uh, with Megan Hart and uh, Brad Hodson, Carrie Lip, uh, Rob Bowley, and Chris Mars. And my story is about a street kid who turns into a magician and she's looking for the next big trick to bring to her act. And you can follow me at suffragerone.ca. That's my blog. Uh, You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, all those places. And I use my real name, so just look me up and follow me and all that. Stalk me, please. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Sephra. So now that um, this Women in Horror Month uh, discussion is over. It's now time for our interview segment. And this episode, we have an artist, sorry, we have artist and Ghost Cats co-coordinator, or co-creator rather, Erin Wessendorf, who's going to be interviewed by Brian Clement. Okay, my name is Brian F.H. Clement. I am a member of the Horror Writers Association, and today I'm going to be interviewing Erin Wessendorf, who is an artist Uh, who does some creepy horror-type pieces, and full disclosure, we've been friends for a while, and together we work on Ghost Cats. So, uh, Erin, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a bit about what kind of art you do. Hello, uh, my name is Erin, and I do creepy art, (laughs) like you said. Um, I do primarily illustration and watercolor, and my favorite subject matter is creepy ladies, ghosts, and animals. Oh. Of course, and uh, having seen a lot of your work, I know how great it is. So uh, I guess tell us a bit, how, how did you first become interested in drawing and painting, and what were some of the first subjects you worked on? Uh, I, as a little kid, I did lots of drawing, and at the time I mostly drew um, horses and cats, but one of the first drawings that I have saved is a picture I drew of my dad when we were at the dump and he was throwing out a garbage can. 
<laughs> so <laughs> that was a good start. Um, and then when I was 30, I started painting. Cool. So um, have you ever worked in cartooning and stuff before you did Ghost Cats? Oh, yeah. Um, when I was in high school, I actually wrote a comic series uh, where I starred as a superhero and I would fight villains um, in every episode. <laughs> and you doodled this uh, while you're in class? or Yes, it was my math class activity. Uh, so I got not very good. I got really bad marks in math. <laughs> but it turns out in the end it, it uh, worked out for you. Yeah, man, I think I did okay. <laughs> so since this is uh, for the Great Lakes Horror Podcast, I guess tell us about how you think your art relates to the world of horror. Um, well, I have always read a lot of ghost stories and stories about the paranormal. So that's definitely been in my brain for like my whole life. And now as an adult, it's pretty cool to draw kind of spooky and unsettling works of art. I didn't always think that it really fit into the whole horror world because uh, I kind of think of that as being a different subculture. But then because of you, I realized oh, it's actually, I'm drawing creepy stuff all the time. Of course that, <laughs> of course that's like part of the horror umbrella. So I guess give us some examples of uh, what, how, how it maybe comes through in some of your work. So what, give us some, some examples of what, you know, maybe describe to the listeners some pieces that you would say were unnerving or creepy or would fall into that. Um, so I, ha- I have a few different series that I like to explore the same idea over and over again. So one I have is um, women kind of like, who look kind of like dead, but maybe also undead, maybe kind of ghosty, like disemboweling themselves or cutting their own heads off or just kind of like stabbing themselves. And it's kind of creepy like that. And then now I'm working on another one where it's kind of like corpse looking women um, in like a sea of hair. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so would you say, you know, you, you've added the little ghost cats characters to some of these. So how, how did that come about? Would you say? Um, well, I saw someone, a friend of mine had been drawing ghost bears. And so I started doodling ghost animals and then I really liked the look of ghost cats and I added them to some regular portrait style images that I had been doing. And then all of a sudden, you saw these images, which just had like women with ghosts looking over their shoulders, and that's when you really um, liked it. And we kind of started Ghost Cats. Yeah, um, we can talk about a bit a bit more about that a little later. But I guess maybe for now, tell us what kind of styles would you say you're influenced by, and what kind of artists are you influenced by, and are you influenced by things you see in your day to day life other than just art? Uh, yeah, I'm really influenced by the pop surrealism movement, which is so huge right now, and a lot of female artists take part in it. And uh, there's like characterized by a lot of like dreamy and obviously surreal images uh, with women in it, and often like kind of like sexy or cool looking women, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so one of my favorite artists, who uh, she doesn't really fit in that, but it's Helen Joe, and she does really cool pieces of super tough women kind of like fighting and just beautiful watercolor line work uh and another favorite of mine is stacy rosich she does incredible watercoloring that has kind of like creepy elements in it like animals and masks and really patterned clothing 
Um, but I'm, I'm also um, influenced by books. I read a book about uh, a literary kind of exploration of Japanese ghost stories, and that was like, hugely influential for me. And then I also see things like in my life, of course, that are inspiring. And sometimes I even have dreams about ghosts. So, of course... <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. So, I uh, once I had a... Once I had a dream about a storyline of a ghost... Um, story, I guess. It came to me fully in my dream. And that was pretty cool. And then even last night, um, when I was thinking about this interview, I dreamed about going to a haunted house and searching for ghosts there. Do you like haunted houses at Halloween? No, I find them very scary, actually. <laughs> what about horror movies? Oh, I don't like horror movies that much because they are pretty scary. But um, last, maybe like one week ago, I watched a Korean horror movie and I didn't really realize it would be one. But it wasn't too scary for me. Maybe I'm like used to being scared now by drawing ghost cats. <laughs> um, so I guess how did the... I guess interest, I, w I don't want to say obsession, maybe it's an obsession. How, how did the interest in ghosts, I guess, uh, where, where was the, the genesis of it? I guess it's been going on for a couple of years now. Where do you think it, was, it started? Um, I don't really know. Like when I was a little kid, I was really obsessed with ghost stories and reading books about ghosts and just everything about ghosts. Uh, but then it, it didn't really come to the front until again until a couple of years ago when I started drawing it and I could kind of indulge in something which I had really loved when I was younger and it got pushed to the side while I was, I don't know, like interested in other things, I guess, but maybe didn't really embrace that it was a cool thing to be interested in or that it was like legit for me. Right. And I, I sort of started to suspect uh, about a year and a half ago that you were in a ghost cult because you were <laughs> always talking about ghosts and drawing ghosts and you sent me this postcard that uh, you were on vacation at the time that said uh, hey Brian have you ever gotten ghost mail before well now you have what a day ghost in big letters and there's a drawing of a ghost yeah well ghosts are really fun to like talk about they're fun to draw and they're really cool because they ghosts have so many powers you know, like vampires have certain blocks, but ghosts can pretty much do anything, go anywhere. They could be at day or night. So they're really fun to explore in that way. <laughs> so I guess, what's your process? If you, How would you say you take an idea, say you start you know, dreaming about these ideas of uh, women with the long hair and the knives and everything. How do you take that and you know, translate it into your painting? Because uh, you work in watercolor, ink, paint, that sort of thing. Yeah, so generally I work pretty quickly so I can start and finish, finish a, a piece in a really good amount of time. And I generally just sketch out my idea onto the final surface and then ink it and paint it. And because I tend to work in series, I really get the chance to explore ideas again and again in different variations. Although once in a while, when I have an idea which really grips me, I want to make sure that I sketch it out a bit more so it becomes more clear. Hmm, cool. So I guess, for example, like the ghost cats, there's an idea that, you know, you kind of took and, and ran with. So why don't you tell us a little bit about those guys and how, how they came to be? I mean, I, I know, obviously, but let's you know tell, tell the listeners. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, so you saw the ghost cats. They were just kind of hanging out in paintings just being little guys watching over people. And then from there, it's really expanded into a universe where the ghost cats fly around, they have adventures, they help people, and they just kind of 
go about their daily lives. And so the comic is a little bit about like following them around and seeing what goes on with them. And they get into cute adventures and do funny things. And I guess so. So what kind of sort of humor I think? In, in, because I know when I write the ghost cats, I know what kind of humor I'm going for. But I think in your drawings. The, you know, there's a humorous style, the way you draw their faces and you, the way that you, you draw their paws and doing cat-like activities. How do you come up with the kind of humor that they do? I mean, are you influenced by real cats that, that you've met or real situations you've experienced? Well, yeah, I have two cats and they're super funny. I just try and draw like regular cat stuff. And I also like really kind of like silly or absurd humor. So I just like to pull that in and do whatever I can to portray it. Cool. So what what kind of things do you think, uh, what are you working on now with the Ghost Cats taking them forward? So uh, we have a little bit more in store for them following their like day-to-day life. And we also have a travelogue for them because um, you take them around on your day-to-day life. Yep. And then I just took them on a trip. And so I ca- oh, we we kind of want to clarify there. We don't think that they're real ghost cats we have little <laughs> little paper cutouts that we take around and take photos of we don't have actual ghost cats following us is that true because <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you're okay that it yeah i took cutouts with me on vacation and i took photos of them everywhere <laughs> um so hope our next project is to build like a travel book for them yeah and so I guess the idea was cool. we'll make it look like they've traveled to all these cool places around the world. Yeah. Cool. So now how do you see your art, not just the ghost cats, how do you see it evolving in the future? Where do you want to go with it? Uh, well, I definitely like to become more technically proficient because I'm a self-taught artist. There's so many things I don't know and that I don't know I don't know. So I really have to push myself to constantly learn new things and not get stuck in the same pattern, which I guess is a problem for any artist, but I I really want to learn new techniques and push myself to do better. And I also would like to do a little more in fabric work because I used to do a lot of embroidery and it would be really cool to do some of these more creepy pieces with like a physical texture to them. Yeah, for example, when we sit even at uh, our Ghost Cats booth because we'll, well, we'll sell these Ghost Cats comics and everything at, for example, Vancouver Fan Expo, which we did last November. Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll sit there and you'll, you'll make ghost cats plushies right yeah it's really fun and i find like drawing in that environment is pretty hard it's very distracting however i have such a strong basis in sewing and you can kind of do it half like paying attention and not really (laughs) mess it up too badly so it's a really nice thing to do at like that time Mm. and then people can walk by and see what i'm doing and they really like the plushies too so I guess um, just speaking about how we do Ghost Cats, how do you find it being an artist based in Vancouver, whereas I'm the writer based in Toronto, just communicating pretty much entirely online and by the phone, um, making a, a comic with a storyline? Uh, well, it would be really wonderful if we were in the same place at the same time <laughs> to like hang out over drinks or something and talk about it. But we text pretty much every day about ghost cats. So it's really nice because we're always in communication. Otherwise I think it would be pretty easy to get off track or to feel disconnected from our ideas and our collaboration. Mm. So because we have a strong connection, I think it makes it pretty simple. Cool. So I guess because this is for women in horror month, why don't maybe 
do you have any ideas about how your work relates to you as a woman artist working in the medium of, of horror uh, related art? Uh, well, I definitely think my work looks like a woman's work. I use really soft colors and like cute cats and women and I, in my paintings. And I think that it's definitely has a feminine feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never really been into like the super gory art. I definitely <laughs> appreciate it, but it's not my absolute favorite. Like I think about those scary stories you tell in the dark. If you remember that book from when you're a little kid, yeah. it had really terrifying illustrations. So I think that my work is not at all like that, but it still manages to be in the realm of horror. Cool. So just to, you know, go off the art a little bit here. What would you do if you ever saw a real ghost? I mean, what would you say to it? Uh, I I think I would be like really scared. <laughs> <laughs> but me, I wish that I could say I could be like so cool and ask it like, why are you here? How could I help you? But I think that I would just hide. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you do if you were a ghost? If I was a ghost, I would be so fun. I would be the most mischievous ghost. <laughs> I would be probably like turning off lights, making things levitate. Maybe not like talking at someone because that's a little more creepy. But I would definitely want to kind of play with somebody a little bit. <laughs> so have you ever been ghosted, would you say? <laughs> yeah, I think I have. <laughs> Yeah, there was, like, somebody, I was, like, seeing this really cool woman, and um, we were, like, connecting so well, but there was still, like, this distance between us, and it felt as though we both really wanted to spend time with each other, but we're both, like, guarding our hearts, and I kept, I always wanted to see her more, but uh, eventually she just, like, didn't respond to my text, it just, like, dropped away, and I was so bummed. Do you think she's a ghost now? She might be. She doesn't really exist on the internet. (laughs) So she must be because it feels like every living human has a Facebook account except her. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so would you have anything, I guess because we're, you know, getting sort of short on time here, would you say there's anything else you want to add? I mean, how can we find you on the internet? Where, Where can we look at your work? Where can we find the ghost cats? Well, you can find me on the internet. My website is my name, Aaron.com, A-R-I-N-N. And then my personal page on Instagram is at Octopi Eyes. Then Ghost Cats, are, the website is ghostcats.ca. And on Instagram, they're Ghost Cats Comic. Cool. So anything else you want to tell us to wrap up? Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, thanks for coming to chat. Um, yeah, my pleasure. Okay.